and welcome to Overinvested, a podcast about pop culture obsessions. I'm Gavia, and here's my co-host Morgan. Hello. So this week we watched Suspiria, Luca Guadagnino's remake of the cult 1970s horror movie by Dario Argento, which we did an episode on a few months ago, so you can go and listen to that too. Uh, so while the original was basically a very stylish slasher movie, the remake digs into Argento's concept of a dance school populated by murderous witches. Um, it stars Dakota Johnson as a naive young dancer and Tilda Swinton is her eccentric mentor among sort of a coven of alarming and very fashionable older ladies in the kind of 1970s Berlin. Ambitious and very divisive, including within this podcast, where we have one person on either side of the divide. In our little planning document, I typed in being like, isn't it interesting how divisive this movie is? Like, critics are just so split on their opinions. And Morgan just typed in, no, it's bad, though. (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) I enjoyed most of this So here we are. (laughs) And I hated it. So that's going to be a fun time also, today. Well, the thing is, right, because I'm like, I in this one, I'm not going to be like, I'll fight you because it's clearly such a matter of taste because there's people who are really loving it and hating it for a very wide variety of reasons rather than it being one of those movies where the divide is like really political. Like everyone's just like, this movie sexist as hell or whatever. And also Morgan was like, this movie is just garbage. And I was like, it's very funny. And no one in her cinema was laughing. So... <laughs> I mean, I saw it like a fucking morning press screening at like 9am and I was still like, this movie's hysterical. Well, okay. So I went and saw this um, with my younger brother who loves horror movies Mm -hmm. at the Alamo Draft House in Brooklyn, which is like the hipster movie theater of New York City. Obviously, there are many movie theaters that fit that description, but this, I've never been to this movie theater before. It opened around a year and a half ago, I think, and is now this like, destination people it's the one where they shoot you with a bow and arrow if you have a phone on exactly yes so i walked in and immediately was like i hate this place (laughs) sorry to anyone listening who loves the alamo i know people who feel strongly about it but it was just like the sort of like pretentious film nerd atmosphere that i do not personally enjoy there were lots of beanies hats and weird beards and I was just like no no this is not my scene so they ha- but they show a thing before the movie like at, at all like draft house theaters in the country it's a big chain um where they're like you, like you cannot talk during this movie like or take your phone out like you can complain to the staff if someone does that and get them thrown out like it's it's a very serious thing so I think that probably has something to do with the fact that people weren't laughing. Like, obviously, you're allowed allowed to laugh in these movie theaters, but there is this sense of, like, you have to take this really seriously. Conversely, this is a very serious, like, art house, young, like, hip, movie-going crowd. And I was waiting for my brother to come out of the bathroom after uh, I saw it and was listening to all these people who were, like, exactly the audience who should be appreciating this movie coming out and talking about it after, and everyone hated it. Like, literally everyone was just like, ugh. Which was also how I felt. And I was like, mm, You've all been, if you've they're all not, been sharing the wrong psychic energy and your miasma has built. It's like, if they're not getting this crowd, this is bad. Like, they've fucked this I up. I think they got my uh, crowd, which was also mostly young, hip, film-growing people. I mean, this movie has made like $1 million. I mean, that doesn't surprise me. It's a fucking, like, weird... Like, I mean, it's, like, set in a dance school. All of the trailers are ostentatiously pretentious. It stars Tilda Swinton, an actress that most people know as that girl from Fifty Shades of Grey. 
And like, it's rated 18 and full of extraordinarily gory violence. (laughs) Right. But the people who should like it are the sort of people who are going to go see it at 940 at night at the Alamo Draft House. And we all hated it. Well, so like something has gone wrong. (laughs) So we watched the original Suspiria, which you mentioned, and um, people should go back and listen to that podcast which I think would be an interesting companion to this one because I definitely liked, yes, I liked that movie a lot when we watched it, but I definitely thought it was flawed, um, which I think is probably pretty evident from listening back to that. I don't remember exactly what we said because it was a while ago, but watching this made me appreciate that movie so much because that film, I don't remember exactly how long it is, but it's definitely shorter than this. This movie is two and a half hours long, which is this is my new like. I mean, I've had this opinion for a long time, but I feel like this year in particular, just like make all your fucking movies shorter. Yeah. Like there are just too and also, many. With this one, there's a really specific reason why it's too long. Because I definitely, I definitely preferred this to the original by far. But the reason why it's too long is because there's this completely unnecessary subplot. Because you've got the main plot, which is about um, Dakota Johnson's character is a young American dancer who basically makes her way to this German dance school, which is run uh, by this visionary dancer played by Tilda Swinton. Um, So you have this kind of thriller or horror story unfolding, which is sort of faintly gothic. And it's about the young women going to this coven of witches and discovering their darker side and what have you. That's all completely like self-contained. And then the secondary storyline is also kind of taking inspiration from the original movie where you know, the same similar plot goes out, goes um, unfolds. And also the girl goes to this uh, psychotherapist for advice. And he's like, oh, it's witches. Because in this universe, th- psychotherapists know a lot about witches. Um, but in this, it's, it's this character who is also played by Tilda Swinton in old man makeup for no other reason than they thought it'd be fun. And also it means there's like an all-female cast. But he just has like fucking like a half hour of the screen time is taken up by him and it's not him really investigating witches like the film starts with this scene which honestly i was a bit dodge about because i was like it's him and chloe moretz who's like overacting really weirdly and isn't a character in the movie she's like a former student at the school and i was just like this is a really bad start and then as soon as she went off screen i was like okay it's great now but um his whole subplot is about him mourning his wife who he lost during the second world war And it's kind of this whole thing about like Germany's cultural memory of the Holocaust and like him trying to handle the fact that he never found his wife, which is sort of tying into the fact that he's trying to find this young woman who went missing from the school, Chloe Chloe Moretz's character. But there's no reason for this subplot to be in the film. And every time they move away from the dance school and go back to him, I just keep being like, why why is Tilda Swinton wearing old man makeup? (laughs) Because it's like very noticeable. And I was just like, no, but the rest of it, I really loved. (laughs) Well, so what I was going to say was what I appreciated so much about the original and like in retrospect watching this was that it basically has no themes and is very straightforward and it's super stylish and the experience of watching it is just like very sensory and it's just this sort of gross horror movie with amazing visuals and the sound is really intense and the performances are good for what they need to be like they're they're just I mean they're horror movie performances like it's fine whereas this like they basically just complicated everything in a way that I found not interesting so you're taking what was originally a very straightforward story 
and mean, just there is adding no all these characters to it or characterization in the original. It's literally just like right. there is a woman with no personality getting chased around by murder because it's yes. like a slasher film. Exactly. And when I watched it, I originally was like, well, they could have done more with the characterization. And then watching this, I was like, you know, what's so great about that original movie is that it was just like aesthetics. That was so nice. Dis- because <laughs> because in this, you've got all the fucking Holocaust stuff, which we should talk about more later because it was so just, I don't know what the fuck they were thinking. And then all the stuff at the school, I found really convoluted and not super interesting. I liked the dance. It's like the actual dance, which we should also talk about kind of separately, I think. But um, I find Dakota Johnson profoundly uncompelling as a performer. Like her acting is just so nothing that I just did not care about her at all. And what they kind of do is there are... um, to, so there's the main character in the original uh, called Susie, and then she has a friend, and the friend in that um, gets offed, which, I mean, it's pretty obvious this is what's going to happen. But Susie has this sort of quest to figure out what's going on. Like, that's the whole plot of that movie, is that she has to figure out what's going on in the school, right? And in this movie, that kind of quest gets split off onto another girl, who is so much more compelling because she actually has like impetus to be doing something. And then Dakota Johnson is just this sort of like genius, magical, magical girl, like dancer person who is like Amish also, which like, why is this? Like, I just, okay. And I never cared about her. I was never worried for her. I was not interested in her and her dancing was good which is obviously important if your movie has a lot of dance in it, which this does. But I did not care about her character at all. And I loved Tilda Swinton in this. I thought she was great. She was the like saving grace of the movie for me because she's obviously always amazing. But apart from that, I just was like, whatever. And so they've added all this extra stuff, but not clarified it. And even on addition to the Holocaust stuff, there's all these kind of like half-baked ideas in this movie that aren't fully developed. And I don't know what it's trying to be about or what it's trying to say, but unlike the original, it seems like it is actually trying to say something. And that made me very frustrated because I was just like, what is the point of any of this? And I thought the cinematography was terrible. So there's just a lot going on here that I thought was bad. (laughs) Like made me really frustrated and it was so long i was just like get me out of here i feel bad that's my take (laughs) Mm -hmm. okay where to start (laughs) Hmm. i mean did you enjoy dakota johnson in this movie yes because if so i genuinely do not understand i i was so fucking so i wasn't like bowled over by dakota johnson but i was definitely into her and I agree with you that I think Mia Goth's character, the the friend um, who she's kind of been in some other, she's basically her whole career. She started off as a model and she's done like five weird horror movies. So she this is clearly like her zone. And she is playing essentially the person who should be the protagonist of like a normal horror movie because she's really engaging. Um, and she's like, what the fuck's going on? And is basically acting like a normal teenage girl. Whereas Dakota Johnson's character is really weird because she's this self-taught dance genius who's like a Mennonite who's obsessed with Tilda Swinton. But I was, I don't know, I was just enjoying that because it was like kind of taking the whole sort of virginal gothic girl goes to the castle and gets 
seduced by darkness, except she's like very much into it. There was like no resistance. But also I'm very into dance. So like, I was just like, I'm completely on board with this. Of course you'd go and like send your soul over to the coven to become an amazing dancer. I just really enjoy stuff that's very sort of operatic and florid and overblown, which this was. If they just excised the entire Holocaust psychotherapist man subplot, I would just be like, this is great. And also Chloe Moretz, who once again, not sure why she's in this movie. The kind of I think one of the key like differences between our experience here is that I found this film regularly very funny. Like I was actually laughing out loud in this film, and I think I'm trying to. Remember, it's, I can't really remember the specifics because I saw it literally a month ago, so it's a while. But I remember one of the things I really enjoyed is I thought there were a lot of kind of genuine comedy reaction shots from all of the coven of older witches because they've just got like about a dozen of these sort of eccentric matriarchs whose jobs are very unclear in the dance school and are clearly just there to be part of this like satanic you know, evil coven. It's very good timing for Sabrina, actually, because this is like X-rated Sabrina. Very much of a kind of thematic overlap. See, I don't think this movie is trying to be funny at all, with a couple of exceptions of... There are definitely a couple of comedy moments, but I don't... I did not think that about the reaction shots at all. Like, there are cutaways to them, for sure, but there's, like, portentous music under most of them. It just felt to me, like, because quite a lot of horror movies are funny in that same way. Where it's like like stuff in Hannibal where it's like morbid humor. Yes, but this movie takes itself so seriously. Like there's so much stuff about the fucking Holocaust. The la- the epilogue to the movie is all is exclusively about the Holocaust. The tone in which it's shot is so See, this is why like I didn't consider it with a the big dance scene is certainly operatic, but the movie did not feel that way to me particularly because the way it's shot is so flat. Like the color palette is certainly flat, but also just like it, what was driving me crazy the whole time watching it was that literally the composition of the shots. And like if any of you guys go to see this, I would encourage you to pay attention because if you're interested in like craft of film, I think this is a good movie to sort of understand how cinematography works because I could not for the life of me figure out why any of the shots in this movie were composed the way they were. There was no rhyme or reason that I could discern for the sh- for shot composition. It is by the same and cinematographer as Call Me By Your Name, which is Luca Guadagnino's last yes. movie. And also Uncle Boonmi, who can recall his past lives, which is historically the only film I've ever watched that literally made me fall asleep in the theater. Right. <laughs> so... Call Me By Your Name, which actually was made after this movie. So um, I know someone who knows someone who worked on this. And apparently this movie was shot like a couple of years ago. What? But then I have no me- idea. Yes. So Call Me By Your Name. They have not been talking about this a lot publicly. Like it's not a state secret or anything. But Call Me By Your Name was such a big Oscar thing that they had to campaign, campaign it for a year. And so then Suspiria kept it getting pushed back. And so then they had to basically wait another year to release it because... They couldn't release another Luca Guadagnino movie while Coming By Your Name was, like, getting awards because it just would have, like, they just couldn't do it. So this movie has been in the can for a long-ass time, and he made Call Me By Your Name after, which is just kind of interesting to think about. Call Me By Your Name is basically my favorite movie of the decade, I would say. But the shots in that, like, if you go back and watch that, the cinematography isn't, 
I think it's really beautiful, but it's not always super flashy in the way that some films are. But every single shot is composed in a way that means something. Like, it's all done extremely deliberately. And it's not just that it's pretty, although it definitely is, because it's like a summer Italian romance, right? Like, the way everything is framed in each shot is very deliberate. And in this, I literally was just like, what is going on? Like, everything fits in the frame because that's what the movie needs to be showing you at a certain time. But there are some shots that clearly are meant to sort of imitate the original. Like, you'll have a sort of dramatic zoom or pan, but then other stuff doesn't do that. And it just felt very incoherent to me in a way that I really did not like watching because I am someone who pays attention to that. But I think that even if you're not consciously noting that, that can be very like unconscious. You see the initial zoom when they, when they zoom in super fast when she first arrives at the school. I was like, this is a laugh line. <laughs> so that is not, <laughs> there's no way that was the point that I'm sorry. Like, no, no. And but like, I liked that because it was the beginning of the movie. And I was like, oh, they're kind of doing something with the original. But then as the movie went on, I was just like, this is this is the first movie I've seen of Luca Guadagnino's that is indoors. Because yeah. all of his movies are like very sun drenched that I've seen anyway, and are in kind of they're Mediterranean. And there's a lot of sort of liveliness. And this is I mean, he clearly fucking loves Suspiria because he is the person who has been trying to get this movie off the ground. He got the movie rights like a decade ago or something and was trying to get other people to make it for him. This is like outside his normal manner, I guess. So maybe that's the reason why like the visualization stuff was an issue. I mean, I actually didn't find that at all. Um, I'm less sensitive to cinematography than you. The only time when I was like, what's up with this is in the final sequence, which we will not discuss until the end of the episode because of spoilers. But in the final sequence, they suddenly started having this kind of situation where the camera was like, shaking around and blurry and I was like this definitely looks like when you go to like a second rate video art exhibit you know because I've definitely seen stuff at like yeah museums where I've been like why <laughs> um yes but all the stuff that was happening yes. during that scene I was very into well we'll discuss that <laughs> I and yeah that if, if only so there was a video component to this podcast Morgan has literally been shaking her head at me for this whole episode and I must accept it <laughs> Well, this is the thing, right? It's like, I really thought I was going to like this movie. And and I had seen the mixed reactions. And in fact, I have not actually spoken to anyone. I mean, there have definitely been other critics who liked it a lot. But in terms of people I actually know who have seen it, you are the only person who's liked it at all. Um, but I really thought I was going to like it because I love Luca Guadagnino and I'm really interested in dance. I love Tilda Swinton, obviously. And we... Um, watched Suspiria and I really really liked it but I felt like it was a movie that you could remake in an interesting way as opposed to a lot of classics where they announce a remake like for instance Clueless and you're just like why why would you do that like this is the stupidest idea I've ever heard and I just could not figure out watching this why they were doing it like what what is the point of this delicious gothic witchcraft melodrama but it there, no, <laughs> the mel like the melodrama. I just like the characters, except for Tilda's like dance mistress. I think she must be inspired by Pina Bausch. Like the, I haven't seen them yeah, mention her at sure. all, but she's like this very kind of influential but, modern dance yeah. choreographer, and it must be just her. The characters were so flat that it didn't feel 
melodramatic to me. And so I just had such a hard time getting invested in any of it. And then even the relationship between Tilda and Dakota Fanning's character felt like that was potentially an interesting area for them to go to because it is in a way this kind of romance, but they didn't develop that enough. And there are these dream sequences that were the one thing I thought was aesthetically like really well done because they're very uncanny and weird and just like much more interesting than the rest of the movie. And most usually the dream sequences in movies are just like dire and should not exist. But these I thought were really cool. But then those also aren't really like nothing really happens with those either. And it just felt like to, like the screenwriter and Luke Guadagnino both had all of these ideas and then just shoved them into this two and a half hour movie. Like there's all this stuff about Bader Meinhof in this film yes, too. And I was the other thing. You it was need like- to chill out. Apart from the subplot with the old psychiatrist guy, every time they're sort of to reconnect us to the real world outside the school, they're just following news stories about the Bader Meinhof kidnapping. And it's like, it never goes anywhere because all the way through the movie I was like am I supposed to be understanding some kind of allegorical historical thing and it was more just like they were like well we need to make sure everyone knows this movie's in 1977 and it's like no (laughs) it doesn't and it's like they have this whole situation where Chloe Moretz's character who fled the school at the beginning is like oh she's gone and joined the terrorists and it's like this does not happen so basically every single thing that takes place outside the confines of the school I would like to remove from the film And then you would have a film where I would be like, excellent, well done. I mean, I still would not have liked it at all, but I certainly would have disliked it less than that. I mean, also, like, I am someone who knows a lot about history and, like, vaguely am aware. Oh, yeah, no, that's not something that most of the audience are going to know about. I mean, afterwards, I was Wikipediaing it, being like, am I supposed to understand? Is there, like, a Stockholm Syndrome thing named after Baden-Meinhof? No, there isn't. Right, and, like... Not that you have to be, like, making your movie in a way, like, all Americans get every reference, right? You know, but it really did feel like they were asking a lot of the audience in that moment. I was like, this, and and there are multiple, multiple references. I was like, I just feel like you've miscalculated in some basic way. (laughs) And it didn't mean anything. So, okay. And I am someone who is obsessed with the Cold War. And most of my interest in the Cold War, like the, the period that really fascinates me is earlier on, but like the general, the, the general ideas about that era of history are, are stuff I'm very familiar with. And this movie, I was just like, nothing you're doing is relevant to this. So like, just cut it. Yeah, because I, so I liked that it was set in the 70s. And I liked it because, you know, it's, it's a story that works as a 70s story because it's got this whole kind of satanic panic situation and all this kind of 70s like hippie witchcraft and sort of the the, the sisterhood situation with kind of like that era of feminism. Um, and also there's this, in one of the scenes where they have Dakota Johnson's character is sort of discussing the creative process with Tilda Swinton and they're choreographing this like amazing sort of ritualistic dance um, performance. And she's kind of talking about how like Tilda Swinton's character who is German is talking about how like her work is inspired or you know it's rooted in like the experiences of her generation like surviving after the war and obviously Dakota Johnson's this sheltered girl from America who knows fucking nothing and I thought that worked really well and that should have been the the limit of the references to the second world war in this film right 
because all of the stuff that's outside of that is like it's just kind of over egging it because they're just like why are you having a whole subplot that's about someone mourning their wife who's dead in the holocaust because it's not relevant to everything else whereas the whole thing where it's like the dance yeah it just felt like that that's how they should be expressing it and also part of the reason why it's so great to set this story still in the 70s is because it like detaches it from modern reality and means that you can just have this little enclave of like weirdness in the school yeah and i think that would have been fine like i don't think it would have been a an issue to sort just sort of not engage with all that historical stuff much like it's whatever right like the original suspiria doesn't at all no i mean the original suspiria is better right like it's like the things that are good about the original suspiria are the soundtrack and all of the visuals and everything else is like whatever yeah it doesn't it's not a problem we're not necessarily looking for like 100% historical accuracy with our ballet horrors. No. <laughs> like that's not. But they clearly felt compelled to put it all in, and it was a miscalculation. Yeah, I mean, the studio should have just gone in with a pair of scissors. Sadly, no. Uh, what did you think of the music? I thought the music was pretty good, but I think it was the reason why the music is such a big focus here is because in the original. It has like just one of the best and most memorable scores you will ever see in any film. It has this very loud, repetitive prog rock score, which is like, when I say loud, I mean it is like fucking cranked up compared to the dialogue and stuff intentionally. So, and it starts really early in the film, almost as soon as the protagonist shows up on screen, she goes through a pair of doors and as soon as the doors open, just this music is fucking clanging away, right? So it's... You know, John Carpenter is known for making very memorable sort of strange horror movie scores, but this one is like several grades above that. Um, And if you've seen the movie, you remember it, right? So in this movie, they got Tom York to do the music. And it's like, well, you've got someone really great. And I think the music was good, but like nothing can measure up to the original because it's so memorable. Because if this was a different film, I'd be like, excellent soundtrack from Tom York. But otherwise I'm like, well, it's, you know, it's pretty good. Because I, I was listening to the music while I was writing my review and I was like, yeah, I, I think this is a reasonable, but it's just like the stakes are too high. Yeah, because one of the like annoying film bros outside of the theater was bitching about the score and Tom York. And like, obviously I knew he had done it and there are a couple actual songs in it that I noticed. But I really, as we have established many times, you pay much more attention to music in movies and I pay more attention to cinematography. But um, I tend to notice if something is really good or really bad or like deployed in a way where you're really supposed to pay attention to it. And it wasn't that I didn't like notice that there was music in this movie, obviously. Like there are many like art films I watch with no music and I obviously am aware that there's no music. But it, I just like... It was not. I mean, it's not, not register for me. It's, it's not like a bold. major thing. It's like right. it's what you get if you hire Tom York, who is immensely talented, and also you know what his music's going to sound like. Um, and I think the main, yeah. I think the main reaction I had to this music was not like, oh, this sounds like Tom York, but surprisingly, like the main music sounds like the music from a Luca Guadagnino movie. He has very specific taste, like and he's very kind of picky and the initial like main theme song sounded like Tom York almost like doing a Safian Stevens weirdly well literally so it started like the credits yeah. I think they have a right and for like 10 seconds Sufjan's I was like back. <laughs> wait it did Sufian do this too and literally only for 10 seconds because it doesn't exactly sound like that but there was I was just like wait what and then 
there was, and then I was like, oh no, it's not him. And then it took another 10 seconds. And I was like, who is this? And then I was like, oh, right. Of course it's Tom York. There's been all this press about this, but it was kind of like, whoa, like, <laughs> this is really odd. But it was funny to me that it had all gotten like so much press. And I mean, of course, because Tom York is very famous and has, I don't know if he's, I feel like he must have not filmed score before, but maybe he hasn't. Or if, if he has, it's certainly not something he does commonly. Obviously, Johnny Greenwood does pretty frequently now. But it was not a part of the film that I was paying attention to particularly. And yet it is something that has gotten a lot of press. So I was curious about your thoughts since you are the music person yeah. on this podcast. Yeah, so. I mean, it was like pretty good, but yeah. It's also kind of like interesting to combine with the, the dance. I was very into the dance and I was very glad... Like, even before the film came out, I was like really excited by the trailer because the weird thing about the original is that it's set in a dance school and it's very intentionally kind of setting up this situation where it's all kind of women and teenage girls, but like in a very non-sexual context, which is something we kind of remarked upon in our episode. Um, but like, there's literally no interest whatsoever in dance. Like, they have, <laughs> they have like scenes where people are doing what seems to be bar class and like working out a little bit but there's like no actual dance at all and it's just a setting whereas in this film it is very explicitly about dance and about sort of physicality and there's some amazing disturbing body horror please don't see this film if you are squeamish because it's gross <laughs> um but they, they have all of that and they have um at the end like very extended dance sequence which went on so long i was like really goodness still going on <laughs> but um also like the music they had for that with Tom York I would have picked something else and it's kind of interesting because like um, Luca Guadagnino is obsessed with the composer John Adams who does a lot of music that's sort of like mathematical build-ups and I was quite surprised that there wasn't any in there just stick some in and have someone deteriorating to John Adams what are we here for if not that not actually <laughs> just like a comment <laughs> yeah I thought the dance like the actual choreography of the dance stuff was yeah. really good, which is very uncommon in movies. Like I'm not a dance expert, but I go to the ballet center regularly. And so just like doing that means that I have some and also basic it's, it's awareness interesting, of stuff. It was, it, like, was, it was definitely like, yeah. you know, post-war modern dance. Yeah. It, <laughs> I went with your parents to the ballet several months ago and there was, we saw a seventies, number of with like spider ladies uh eating a man i think i mentioned this on the podcast <laughs> and that definitely like their outfits and everything because they use the same outfits that were you know used at the time there was a lot of sort of similarities to what was going on to the point where i genuinely wondered like did they watch that while working on this but i was also kind of frustrated because especially in that last number which does go on for a really long time I did not think it was shot that well. And if you're going to do something that goes on for like five minutes, <laughs> I was like, you have to shoot this better. And part of the problem was that they're doing it in quite a small room because it's in the school and not like in a theater. And so there's not, I mean, obviously I'm just listening to this is all set, but like they have contained themselves in a way that shooting it, like it just felt like sort of kind of enclosed and awkward. It, I was just like, why like this is one of the things in the movie i actually like and you're still kind of impeding me from enjoying it fully and like shooting dance is really hard one of the only things i can think of that does it really really well is um black swan the darren aronofsky movie that natalie portman won her 
uh, Oscar for, which has amazing ballet stuff in it. But it just was, I was aggravated. They should have lent into the claustrophobia. Well, yeah, either, either really go for that or not at all. Because they were, some of the environmental stuff I, was, I really liked, they were very keen on the kind of sound of dance. So you could really hear everyone's breath in like yeah. really alarming ways and people properly thumping off the ground, which you can hear when even like for ballet dancers, like you can fucking hear them thumping yes. off the ground. So I like that. Um, shall we talk about the end? Oh my goodness. So yeah, this is, this is spoilers. The end is so yeah. much. It is beyond. I think maybe like what I described in my review is if you just took like the last three minutes of um, Hereditary and then just had it go on for like 20 minutes. <laughs> but also at the same time, people are like getting torn apart limb from limb. And there's just like an absolute like it's, it was sort of, um, you know, the, the, the finale of this story is obviously that the witch cult gets uncovered by Dakota Johnson and also by the more human character who's like her friend at the school who gets horribly victimized and then they're having this massive ritual in the basement that involves this like ritual dance sequence and also a hell of a lot of murder and like gory sacrifices and everyone's naked and I was just like this is cool (laughs) whereas I was like this is going on forever I'm bored (laughs) people's heads are exploding endlessly why are we here and so the end of um, the original Suspiria is much more sort of... Um, it's just like a kind of cheesy TV horror the, movie. Well, it's it's the predictable kind of like the the like final girl has to kill the bad witch to escape. And like she does and it's fine. But I found that much more satisfying than the end of this, which is that Dakota Johnson... It's like the end of Hereditary. Like she is possessed by the... Head. Well, she's Which... not. She's not possessed. She was. She was. She was evil all along. Is that? See, I literally could not tell because I was like, "What the? Well, fuck the reason is going why on? she was, also, like, you know, care. it's like she her her mother, like when she was a child, her mother was all like, "This is my devil baby." She's sort of like half and half for the rest of the movie. So like, she's kind of a normal girl, but the reason why she's so sort of desirous of power and so kind of eccentric and also very skilled is because she is already the mother of Whispers. So she's not getting possessed at the end. She's literally like unveiling her true form. And okay. I was like, this rules. <laughs> yeah. So that would explain why she's so fucking impenetrable and boring the entire movie, because she's not behaving like a normal person. This did occur to me at the end. And then I thought she said something where I was like, or has she been whatever? Anyway, I found that even though it is technically like a more unusual ending, than the normal, like, final girl thing. I found it way less interesting to actually watch <laughs> than the more normal version, in part because it went it did on go in too long. for so long. And it was interesting, because I was talking to my brother after, and it was funny, because we went out, and I was like, I didn't like that at all. And he was like, I didn't like it either, but he was... But he, really did not care for it but he was also freaked out by it which i was not like there's the one scene that i thought was really like gross was this first scene where she's dancing and there's another girl in the building whose body is getting like twisted up as a result of her movements i thought that was very gross and effective and there were certainly other moments that from like a horror perspective that i thought worked but I I don't tend to get that frightened. It's not in really it's not really a scary horror movie. Like it's no. disturbing, but it's not kind of 
And it definitely doesn't have the lingering fear of something like Hereditary. Yeah, but like even that, as we discussed, I was sort of like, oh, this is fun. <laughs> I was not like traumatized by it. But he was definitely really freaked out by some of it. And then I, we were talking about the end and I was like, well, I mean, that was really bloody. And he was like, oh, well, that was whatever. Like, that was really boring. Like, they, it was really cartoonish. Like, and he just did not, that was not what had bothered him at all. Like, he just thought that was, he was really uninterested by that. And I was like, yeah, me too. <laughs> like, I agree. But I thought it was interesting that he had sort of found other parts of the movie like alarming and disturbing, which is a sign that something is working. And then that final part, he was like, their heads are just exploding. Like, it was so dumb. And I was like, fair. <laughs> That's, and I said, like, well, I think it's cartoonish on purpose because the original has some sort of, like, cartoonish elements and I think they were trying to allude to it. But because the allusions to the original, as I sort of mentioned earlier, were kind of few and far between, like, I wasn't... I couldn't really decide how effective all that was. And for him who has not seen the original one, he was sort of just like what the fuck? Like, it just didn't work for him at all. I would be interested to know the ratio of people who have seen the original to not seeing this, but obviously it has to work. I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not like a big cult film. It's like a film nerd cult film, like a horror film. I mean, it's it's niche. Yeah. So I just found it like if they had maybe cut that part in half, (laughs) I already at this point, obviously was like, I don't like this movie, but I, I mean, all of the stuff to do with the witches I mean, the witches and the dancing were my fave aspects and all of the fashion. Yeah, like the ending, like my only issue really there was that it should not have been so long because it was like this very kind of repetitive sequence of sort of blood explosions. Yes. They could have given me some more like variety in my witch action. Well, also then that is where you got the cinematography thing where yeah, you which was really earlier, weird. I was like, I, like I couldn't get because it was like blurry shaking and it really, I really couldn't, yeah. I didn't get why they did that at all. But the end, the part of the ending that I truly despised was the epilogue, which I just, what was happening in this movie? I do not understand. So Dakota Johnson goes to old man Tilda Swinton's uh, house. So also he has been, he was at the witch party. Yeah. And they were sort, this is one of the things that I, again, was like, you have so many ideas in this movie and none of them have been developed into anything like they grab him and take him in and are sort of like basically criticizing him for being a man and thinking he was like innocent in world war ii and also then for not taking sort of his female patients seriously and it was like this is irrelevant (laughs) and i was like what the fuck like this has nothing to do with with anything this movie has been doing and then he doesn't get murdered and he gets kind of sent home but then dakota johnson goes to see him and is like tells him how his wife did actually die because there's they they trick him into going to the the school with like a fantasy of his wife who clearly is not actually Hmm. there and whatever and then it's like i'm gonna take away your memories of your wife and all these other girls because like that's his punishment which i found gross and then there's like the last shot is this part of like the house that he and his wife had had where like their initials were written on it that you see several times earlier in the film. And it's, and it's like very ponderous and there's music and that's the end of the movie. And I was like, I cannot believe that this is how you are ending this film with all of this gonzo horror movie violence 
that is totally unserious, which is fine. Like, I like horror movies, right? I have no problem. I didn't think that the gonzo violence was effective, but I have no ethical issue with it, right? Like, whatever. But to then turn around and in the conclusion of your film, be like, actually, all of this is about the Holocaust. I actually found kind of gross and offensive and not in a malicious way. Like, clearly the people making this movie were not, I mean, they thought they were doing something deep. But I just thought, and also what? like it wasn't because like all or of the what? all of the stuff that wasn't <laughs> so like all of the stuff that wasn't in my list of stuff that I would just delete from the movie, it was like very explicitly like a classic sort of witchcraft narrative about like female power and desire and desire for power and relationships. Uh, the whole situation within the dance school is like there's this um, internal politics struggle between Tilda Swinton and another one of the women who both want to be like matriarch of the coven and the other characters are sort of voting for or against them to be the leader and they're kind of talking about how they want whether whether or not they want to use like different students as part of their ritual and they're sort of debating like oh do we want to use Dakota Johnson or some other girl to like complete this section of witchcraft and it's all very very much what you would expect from like a female-led witch horror movie and absolutely no aspect of that had anything to do with the holocaust stuff that you were just talking about and it was just like it just felt like really detached to me because all the witch stuff just felt coherent well and the sort that kind of discussion of like which person are we going to murder in a film that is just a horror movie about witches is totally fine right because it's a fantasy and it doesn't matter again i have no ethical problem with these kinds of movies they are not reality. I enjoy them. But as soon as you start to graft on stuff about the Holocaust, then all this discussion that you're having about, like, which person are we going to murder is like, wait, that's not great, though. Like, this is not good. And if they were doing some kind of commentary about all of this, then maybe that could work. But they super were not. There was no thought I mean, maybe they had thoughts, but it certainly didn't turn into anything. And I just found it really kind of gross. And again, like, I don't think the people who made this movie are, like, they clearly were well-intentioned, but, the, and it wasn't like I watched this movie and was like, I'm horrified. No, like, like so for scandalous. listeners who are like, what the fuck, like, this sounds really offensive. It doesn't come across as offensive, it just comes across as unnecessary. I found it more just, like, very distasteful. Mm than, like, I'm profoundly, deeply, you know, shocked at my core. But it felt like they were playing with stuff that they didn't understand in a way that you should not do, basically. Like, not that I'm the arbiter of who should be allowed to, you know, make art about the Holocaust, obviously, but it was just like, if you're going to do this, then maybe have some clue of what you're it just felt really stupid. Well, <laughs> like, the what, good news why? for you, Morgan, is that if this film is indeed making $3 at the box office, then the sequel, which Luca Guadagnino wants to make, will not be happening. No. Um, my brother did just text me that there was a post-credits scene popped up on my screen, uh, which we did not oh, stay I didn't, to I didn't see. see that. So I... No, so maybe that was the reference to the sequel that definitely is not going to be made unless this movie is making a gazillion dollars in Italy, which I guess is possible, but seems like that's Amazon is probably going to be putting its money into other projects. So, And Luca Guadagnino can focus on making his five sequels to Call Me By yes. Name, which I would prefer. 
Dakota Johnson, he wants Dakota Johnson to be in that as Army Hammer's uh, rich bitch New England wife. And I feel good that casting. even though I do not like her acting, that that is good casting. That is something that she can do. Oh, anyway, we disagree on this and it's fine. Yeah, I just find it like viscerally enjoyable, all of the witch stuff. Yeah, well, hopefully our listeners will too. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, <laughs> the reviews are genuinely very violently split. So it's like, I yeah. just looked it up and it, it is rated 61% on Rotten Tomatoes. Not because everyone is giving it three and a half stars, but because everyone is giving it five or two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sounds about right. Uh, all right. Well, uh, thank you all for listening as ever. Uh, next week, I believe we are talking about Outlaw King. Yes, girl. Is that correct? <laughs> yes. Okay. Why don't you give us a little, little preview of what we're going to be discussing? So, Mr. Christopher Pine, a gentleman with <laughs> luminous blue eyes, a self-like physique, <laughs> a certain manner about him, uh-huh. a twinkle in his persona, <laughs> is going to teach us. He is going to educate us all on Scottish history. He has made a film called Outlaw King, who is about, it's about Robert the Bruce, who is a man who fought for Scotland's freedom many, many centuries ago. <laughs> and uh, this film is, if you've seen Braveheart, it's nothing like Braveheart, which is a fucking terrible movie that is offensive and made by a bad man. Uh, this film is, yeah, it's like a nice old school historical kind of action film. So it's very sincere. It's not attempting to be overly gritty, but it is pretty violent. It is available on Netflix and it's Scottish nationalist propaganda. And I would like to add, Scottish nationalism is not like American nationalism. It's not all weird and racist. It's mostly just about like not being part of Britain. Um, It's sort of generally (laughs) kind of center left these days. So don't be concerned if I'm referring to Scottish nationalism. Um, it's very much sort of like we'll fight for our freedom very propagandic very charming um, pretty dumb I know a lot about history so we will be learning next week <laughs> I can't wait I'm so excited yeah it has Florence Pugh playing the wife role and it is very much a wife role but Florence Pugh is a queen as you will know if you've seen Lady yes. Macbeth which is not about Macbeth and it's amazing yeah I'm, I'm pumped for this I gotta see if I can get someone to come over and watch it with me <laughs> okay so, thank you again for listening. Uh, if you would like to support us and hear and read fun extra things, you can find us at patreon.com slash overinvestedpodcast. You can find us otherwise at our website, overinvestedpodcast.com, on Twitter at overinvestedpod, or on Tumblr at overinvestedpodcast. Thanks. Bye.